0: Well, hello there and welcome to today's episode of 7 Figure Millennials, where together you and I are on a mission to prioritize our happiness, health, and relationships as we make our entrepreneurial dreams a reality. If this is your very first episode, welcome. I'm beyond excited to have you hanging out with me today. And if you're returning, welcome back. You know how much I appreciate you for coming back week after week. And today we get to hang out with John Howard. John Howard is an internationally recognized therapist, wellness expert, and educator who uses the latest science to help couples have stronger relationships. He is the author of the recently released book, More Than Words, The Science of Deepening Love and Connection in Any Relationship. He is the host of The John Howard Show, a wellness podcast, and the creator of the Ready Set Love series of online programs for couples. A Cuban-American, John has traveled extensively, and his work draws on his studies of indigenous and other multi Cultural traditions. He has presented on the neuroscience of couples therapy at leading conferences and developed a couples and family therapy curriculum for the Dell Medical School in Austin, where he teaches. In 2019, he developed presence therapy, an integrative mind body approach to couples therapy that is taught to psychotherapists worldwide. And that prioritizes the inclusion of diverse individuals and couples in the relationship space. John is also the CEO of Presence, a wellness center in Austin, Texas, dedicated to helping people achieve optimal physical, mental, and relationship health. In this episode, you're going to learn so much, but as always, I want you to look up for three specific things. Number one, we talk about connection versus communication. This was huge to me. One of the people that I've looked up to was also a guest on the show is Dr. Benjamin Hardy, and he talks about environment engineering. How can you create an environment that produces the intended outcome that you want? This is what reminded me of this when I started talking with John about connection versus communication. So much of us are focused in our relationships about how to communicate more effectively. But if you actually solve for being more connected, it solves all the communication issues downstream. So that was a huge takeaway for me, and I'm excited for you to listen to it. Number two, we talk about the biology of connection. How you can communicate in your relationship so that your partner feels secure. Our brains are very primitive. How can you communicate in a way that actually speaks to the primitive part of the brain that is constantly asking, am I safe, am I okay? Because once you speak to the biology of the brain, you feel more secure in your relationship and you can actually have more effective conversations. And number three, how you can practice in your relationship. You heard me right. We practice for sports. Why don't we practice in our relationships? We know that these recurring issues issues come up. But what if we actually took the time to practice what we're going to do in the situation so that we can have a more effective outcome or a better outcome? So all that to look forward to in today's episode. But before we dive in, I want to give a pre-show listener shout out, which this week goes to Alana, who left a review on Podchaser saying, I really enjoy listening to Brandon's podcast. Looking forward to the next episodes. So thank you for the kind words, Alana. And if you're a returning listener and you haven't had a chance to leave a review yet, I have a favor to ask you. And if you have literally five seconds, you can pause me sentence as i'm saying this right now and if you're listening on either apple or spotify there is a place where you can scroll up or scroll down and you can just tap a rating a rating it'll take you literally two or three seconds just choose however many stars you feel like i'm deserving of and if you have a few extra seconds, you can choose to leave an honest review like Alana did. But if you don't, that's awesome. I would love if you could just tap a rating so you can do that. And also, if you're like, I'm listening on somewhere else, I don't know how to do that. Uh, I can't do it because I'm not listening on Apple or Spotify. You can go to ratethispodcast.com 7FM, and that's going to show you how to do that on whatever platform you're listening on. So with all that said, please enjoy this incredible conversation with my new friend, John Howard. You and I are on a mission to find out, and we have an incredible journey ahead of us. My name is Brandon Fong, and welcome to the 7 Figure Millennials podcast. Mr. John Howard, welcome to the show. Super excited to have you here, my friend.
1: Thanks, Brandon. It's an honor to be on your show.
0: Yes. And John and I are both praying to the Zoom gods because (laughs) Zoom just decided to say, hey, restart. Why don't you restart? But good thing is John didn't get into too much of the juiciness yet. So uh, let's dive right back into where we were, John. I want to start with reading this clip that came from your book. And he talks about how I care about understanding and promoting love and connection between people because my entire life has been a journey from disconnection and trauma to learning how to connect deeply with others. And it hasn't always been easy. So I wanted to start by giving everyone some context. This is just how powerful it is that you are sharing this content today. And I want to start by zooming into a little bit after high school. Sounds like this is a period of your life when you were kind of really trying to understand what was going on. So would you mind sharing a little bit about what was going on in your life post high school and maybe a little bit of what led you to what happened?
1: Yeah, for sure. So I grew up uh, not living with my parents and uh neglected a lot of the time you know no one played with me i grew up speaking spanish it was hard for me to make friends um i went to school early so i was smaller than everybody and i was super anxious and super awkward i had to carry a stuffed animal to school even in the fourth grade i couldn't see for a couple years but nobody was paying enough attention to to notice that so like i I literally just couldn't see for a couple years until somebody figured it out and then i had these really thick coke bottle glasses that didn't help my self-esteem or or my self-image any. So I had a rough go of it as a kid. I felt lonely a lot. I felt isolated. I didn't have people to talk to. Um, I had to process emotions on my own. So after high school, it it was like a real identity exploration moment for me because I was like, you know, now I have some freedom. I can kind of go do stuff I believe in, but I don't even really know who I am or what I'm supposed to be doing. Um, so I played music for a while. I I traveled, I, I was a, a songwriter and a guitar player. And so I was I was doing stuff like that. But I was really mostly just trying to find myself. I I ended up bumping into people that started giving me spiritual books and like self-help books, and that got my mind focused on personal growth. Um, the family that, that I grew up in never really talked about that, never really focused on that. So this was like a brand new area for me, like, oh, you mean I can work on myself? Like, okay, what an interesting concept. And I can maybe like think a little bit, um, you know, in more detail about who I am. And so the, the books were really helpful. I started to meditate. I started to spend time in nature. And what happened eventually is I realized I had all this massive trauma that I had to heal from. But I didn't really know how, so I was doing some of it in meditation. I was doing some of it with plant medicines. I would meet people and have deep conversations, you know, like most people do, just trying to cobble together some sort of self healing. Well, after a while, I, I was starting to get a little bit of traction, and I was bumping into spiritual teachers that were indigenous and Native American, and I was getting invitations to to go live places and study. So. I basically just left the country and did that for a while. I lived in small villages, you know. I lived in mud huts. I learned from indigenous people, and that was the best possible education I ever could have gotten because it sort of corrected a lot of the BS I got in school—stuff that never made sense about life. You know, why don't we focus on helping each other and loving each other? It was always like school just seemed like a bunch of BS, and I felt like I got an education in what it means to be a human being on planet Earth. So that combination of like indigenous wisdom and personal growth stuff I I got from people like really set me on the right track and it helped me heal a lot of the trauma I grew up with.
0: Hmm. So there's so many reasons why I'm excited to dive in. And thank you so much for being vulnerable and and sharing your story. It's just so powerful. And to see that you've been able to turn that trauma into a massive strength for you and now you're helping so many people with this wisdom but several reasons why i'm excited one marusha murphy introduced us i love marusha and also you're friends with john broman i love john broman i love the book the book was fantastic and the thing that i just want to add as some context for everyone is that one of the things i admire about you john is how you make a very specific points to be very inclusive in your conversation so the it's not a A relationship book that's very focused on a specific type of relationship. It's for all genders, all races, all types of relationships. So love that. And then the last thing I'm super excited about is that this show is all about prioritizing your happiness, health, and relationships, but I haven't had a chance to go deep with someone on the relationship component. So um, one of the things that I think set the book apart for me was the focus how towards the beginning, you talk specifically about the biology of connection and one of the things you talk about is that the brain basically needs to feel connected and secure and lots of the communication level stuff can't even break through if our biology is not you know, happy with what's going on. So you kind of talk in the beginning about there's this hierarchy of needs in the brain. Would you mind explaining a little bit about the biology of connection for us to set things off?
1: Yeah, this is super important because if people understand how to hack the brain and the nervous system, essentially, we can all be much more effective communicators, much deeper connectors. We can just have healthier relationships. Unfortunately, much like some of the BS, you know, we were all taught in school, that's not that helpful to real life. We're not really taught a lot about relationships either. And so we try to communicate in order to bridge the gap between differences we have with people. If you get into a relationship and you start living with somebody or sharing life with somebody, inevitably your personality differences and your habit differences create friction. They they get annoying at times, right? You're not going to line up perfectly with someone. And most of the time, what we try to do is communicate our way through that. Well, that does not work very well as neuroscience and relationship psychology has been pointing out for the last 15 years. And it's because of this hierarchy of needs that you mentioned. The brain primarily is concerned with survival much more than love. You know, like we're not really optimized for love as much as we are for survival. And so, what the brain cares about first is safety and security. If it doesn't feel safe with someone, it's not that interested in what the person has to say. Because if you can't relax with someone, your brain is still trying to measure, like, wait, do I like this person? Do I want to connect with them? Why am I even here? Why am I talking to them? You know, like there's all this measuring going on. And the the message gets lost in that. So if you really want to connect with someone, you have to understand how the brain connects and how the nervous system connects. And it's often not through words. You do that by having friendly nonverbals, friendly body language, friendly eye contact, you know, a, a facial expression that's warm and inviting a tone of voice that's not harsh or aggressive. You're trying to help people relax and trust you. And once you form that base level connection in the nervous system, then people's minds open up. They're interested in what you have to say. We can bridge differences and have political dialogue, cultural dialogue that doesn't feel threatening.
0: Mm -hmm. One of the things that I have highlighted here from their book, it says primitive systems don't distinguish well between an actual predator and an argument over salad dressing. <laughs> you know, <laughs> the adrenals can dump adrenaline into the system either way, especially if we don't feel connected. And I think that that's so fundamentally important because if you address the biology and the safety and security, natural communication comes as a byproduct when we feel safe and secure and things. So I love that that distinguishing Uh, component. And so now that we understand a little bit about the biology and how we kind of have a brain that's pretty binary, it's like, am I safe or am I unsafe? Once that's taken care of, and we will, I do want to just kind of dropping something I want to get into. I want to talk about some of those specific language components that you just talked about and how we can be better at talking to the nervous system. But before we get into that, let's talk a little bit about connection versus communication. Can you kind of explain the difference between those two and why it's so important to understand the difference?
1: Yeah, well, like you mentioned, Brandon, these primitive systems are not that bright. Um, That's because they're designed to be fast. Um, So we want to move and protect ourselves before, you know, we philosophize and think about what's going on. That's how the nervous system is designed. So because these are fast, not super accurate systems, they tend to lump a lot of things together. You know, if you had a little bit of childhood trauma, if your dad yelled at you, if your parent was critical, if you felt a sh- you know, when you experience those things later in your relationships as an adult, those same emotional triggers well up in us because these primitive parts of the brain are just lumping everything together. They're like, oh, that sounds like that. You know, that reminds me of that. And so we have this threat response. So this is why it's so important to connect first, communicate second, because when you put the nervous system at ease, it doesn't have those threat reactions that are sort of random in the same way right when you hold hands when you sit close when you really trust that someone has your back you have this buffer in your nervous system even if the communication gets screwed up even if somebody says the wrong thing or they insult you by mistake as long as you trust the goodwill in that relationship you're not going to have a threat reaction you're just going to be like dude why did you say that or what did you mean or where did that you know it's like You you roll with it. Whereas when you don't feel connected to someone, your nervous system is on guard. It's on edge. And literally anything that person says, you might take issue with because you're looking for reasons to validate your sense of disconnection. So even talking about the salad dressing becomes a point of contention because you're like, well, the salad dressing doesn't matter, but there's some reason why I don't feel connected to this person. So now I need to sort of track that down. And that's often how communication gets glitchy. The main difference is connection speaks nervous system to nervous system. Communication speaks to the frontal lobes in the brain that are responsible for higher order thinking. And if you try to do this first and live in the realm of ideas and concepts before you've established safety in the nervous system, you're going to get a lot of communication glitches.
0: Mm hmm. One of the first things that as you're articulating that, as I read it, it reminds me of I had Dr. Benjamin Hardy on the show, and we didn't talk about this concept, but he has another book called willpower doesn't work. And he talks a lot about the concept of environment engineering. I just think this is a very similar approach where it's like you can sit and you could try to nitpick apart all the different communication issues, all the little fires that happen. But if you go up a level higher and you solve for communication that actually has downstream effects of the communication, if you start that way. So I love that this is like a, you can take a macro approach and then you don't have to be perfect in your communication. But if you've established the connection to begin with, it really sets the precedent for the rest of the conversation and the, the tone of the relationship. It's so powerful.
1: Exactly, and it's a game changer because we've been taught to think that we're going to, you know, uh, negotiate our differences through communication. So ninety-five percent of people, you know, when they get together, they say, "Okay, we need communication tools." You know, we need to have healthy communication skills in order to navigate this relationship. Well, that's not true. You know, if you get if you get best friends together, they can communicate really poorly and still feel connected and be just fine. Um, If you get people that have high communication skills, if they don't feel connected, it doesn't matter. Nobody cares. Um, And so what we're essentially saying when we get into a relationship is we want to strengthen our connection. And then on that foundation, we'll communicate much more easily.
0: Mm. Okay. So let's build on that. So in in chapter two of your book, you talk about the language of the nervous system. There's six separate languages, proximity, touch, tone, eye contact body language and speed of response so i you know this is it was an hour-ish interview we don't have time to go into all of them but i think it's really relevant for us to maybe pick apart some of the high level things so that we can understand how to communicate from the nervous system so I'll, I'll kind of leave it up to you john is there a few of them that you want to touch on and maybe give some tips as to how we can communicate more effectively with the nervous system
1: yeah, they're all important, and it's good for people to practice each of them because it's just it's just play. You know, it's like an acting class. It's like you you try the motions, you practice, you see how it feels, and what it does is it gives you a repertoire of connecting skills you didn't have before. So, just playing with proximity, for example, a lot of times we have conversations at a distance of three to four feet. You know, that's like polite social distance. So even with your partner, you know, you might be on one side of the kitchen, your partner's on the other side, there's maybe a counter in between you and we're having a conversation. Well, if you're not feeling connected, if you're talking about a difference and it's starting to get a little bit heavy or stressful, close the gap in terms of physical distance, right? Like walk to the other side of the kitchen, go around the counter and get really, really close physically to your partner, When people try this, they're going to be surprised because it changes the nature of the conversation. Your brain all of a sudden takes a different message from the same exact words when you change the proximity. You know, when you're at three to four feet, it's more of a social conversation. It's easy to amplify differences. When you're at three inches, well, that's a distance of intimacy. So the brain has to assume, okay, we're good, we're, we're important to each other, we're connected, we're friendly, otherwise we wouldn't be that close. Now it interprets the words differently. So it's fun to play with proximity, just how close you are to someone and how that changes connection and conversation. And I would say touch is another huge marker to the nervous system. Touch speaks directly to the nervous system. And usually what it says is, I'm here for you. I care about you. I'm here to support you, right? Sometimes touch is experienced as unwelcome or aggressive. So people have to be careful with it. It's not that you're always going to touch somebody. You have to make sure that that touch is welcome. You have to make sure that also the, the nature of your touch is friendly and, and gentle, not aggressive, but by practicing touch, you get more aware. So like sometimes at first, you know, people will try holding hands or putting an arm around their partner or touching someone else's arm and they're not super skilled with it. So like the timing is off or the touch is too strong or, you know, but you only get better by playing with it. Touch is one of those things that can change a conversation. Also, if you're starting to get stressed, just reaching out and holding someone's hand is such a huge statement, you know, or like hugging before you speak too much is also a huge statement to the nervous
0: system. Hmm. As I was reading this yesterday, it's like I was thinking about proximity and then, you know, my my wife came home and I gave her a hug and I had a conversation. It was really normal for us to have just it, it, reading it in the book, I'm like, that, that three inches, that seems super close. But then, you know, Lee and I had a whole conversation four inches from each other's face. I'm like, okay, this is normal. And it, it does make a lot of sense. And the feedback that you can see, I just love the the image that you just gave of like having a conversation across like a kitchen island or three inches in front of you, like you're going to pick up on so many different subtle differences. Um, so I love all that. Let's zoom in on. So again, I'll just name them all again. So you listening can kind of like think about how to play with these. So proximity, touch, tone, eye contact, body language, and speed of response. That sixth one, I think most people are probably like, okay, I get the other ones, but speed of response. What is that? Could you mind sharing a little bit about that one?
1: Yeah, that one's a little geeky. And, you know, as, as neuroscience based therapists, you know, there's a lot of stuff we geek out on. Um, that's sort of hard to explain, you know, and, and not really common knowledge. So in, in neuroscience-based therapy, there's two things we think about, uh, in relation to the nervous system, we think about speed and we think about timing. Okay. And those are a little bit different. So, you know, timing is like when we do things, um, you know, I like to do things, you know, right when I wake up, you like to do things an hour after you wake up. So like sometimes our time, the timing of our nervous system preferences is a little bit different. You know, speed has to do with, um, let's say you and I are hugging, right? The, the timing may be like, when do we hug? The speed would be is like, is it a quick hug or, or a slow hug? Okay. So timing and speed are two things that really do impact the nervous system's experience of life and of other people. So there are things to think about. An easy example for people listening is we all know people that are super fast thinkers and we know people that are slow thinkers, and if you get a fast thinker, you know, paired with a slow thinker, sometimes they'll annoy each other. One person processes too quickly for the other. One person processes too slowly for the other. Okay. So that's a difference that they're going to have to manage and, and average out. Now, the main example I use in the book is probably the one that, that we encounter most often throughout the day, which is you're on your phone, you know, you're on social media, you're checking your texts, and, and I, as your partner, want your attention. So what happens in those situations is we get sucked into our device, we get sucked into our email, what we're doing, and we're like, oh, yeah, yeah, hold on, you know, I'm in the middle of something. We sort of like wave people off when they want our attention. And it takes us a while to switch over to our person, whether it's a friend or partner and say, you know, what, did you want to ask me something or what do you need? So the point I'm making with speed of response is the nervous system is measuring millisecond by millisecond, how long it takes someone to turn their attention toward us. And if it takes someone several seconds to look up from their email, that already registers a message to the nervous system that we're not very important, okay? Obviously whatever that person is doing is more important than I am because they're gonna finish that and then they're gonna turn their attention to me. The reason that's a problem for the nervous system is let's say you know, there's a predator, let's say we're actually in danger, let's say we actually need protection well realizing that people aren't going to shift their attention to us very quickly creates a sense of threat for the nervous system. Whereas when your partner turns their attention immediately, handles you and then goes back to what they were doing, the nervous system checks a box that says, okay, if I need something, my person's going to be there right away If something's happening like somebody crashes through the door or you know somebody insults me, my partner's going to be there immediately mm-hmm. and that's a really nice feeling for the nervous system to have
0: yeah. Thanks for the example of being on your phone, because that's just such a common thing. And it's kind of sad that we have to give this long delay before we pay attention to our, our partners. My wife and I try to not be on our phones, in the, in, at least in the kitchen where we're cooking dinner and that kind of stuff. So, um, But lots to work on, obviously. So I want to skip. Uh, so now, now we have an understanding of a little bit about how the nervous system communicates and so that we can communicate with those languages so we feel more secure and we can go more into the, I guess we don't want to dive into the content quite yet, but I, I want to skip a few chapters ahead of your book. And I want to go into chapter five, which is about developing a practice culture. One of the things that I highlighted in the book is that you like you something, you something said something along the lines of like, I've never had a couple walk into working with me and they have a, a system or structure of actually practicing what they do in a relationship. Yet, this is one of the things that is creates the biggest impact on a relationship. And it's so funny because we talk about In a sport, you know, like I play spike ball. That's my nerdy thing. It's like I can, I can watch my it's almost like I watch my body react because it's like I've seen like it it, my, my body reacts before it actually happens. But that happens because I played and I practiced a little bit so that my body has that response. And the same thing goes in our relationships, but we don't actually practice it. Like, how do you set those default responses so that you're actually moving forward in a more effective way? So I think that it's it's brilliant that you're teaching people to practice, but I would love for you to maybe share a little bit about some practical ways that we can practice in our relationships because I think it's a foreign concept to many of us.
1: It's definitely a foreign concept. And that's because we don't prioritize relationship health as, as a culture, as a society very much. So it's just not something we really talk about. That much. But this is why people hire elite coaches in, in athletics, for example, because an elite coach can teach you how to train at something that's going to make you better faster than anything you can come up with on your own. You know, an elite coach has techniques that the average coach doesn't have that are going to get you better faster, right? So in the relationship space, what the elite coaches use is practice. Why? Because of everything we just covered, a lot of relationship behaviors are automatic, they're fast. They're primitive. They're already wired into uh, the, the habitual parts of the brain. And what we're trying to communicate when it comes to connection is stuff we normally don't have a lot of awareness of, like our facial expression, our tone of voice, our eye contact, our body language. So how do you retrain yourself to be a better connector? You can't just slow down and think about it because human interactions don't happen at that slow rate of speed. You have to train yourself to be natural at the normal rate of speed that that interactions occur so that your eyes learn how to be soft and warm, so that your face is telegraphing friendliness, so that your tone of voice is inviting, so that your body language is connecting. So there's no way to like think your way into all those moves in the moment. You have to have practiced them in the same way that you practice spike ball and, and the moves that need to be built into motor memory, right? But very few people do this in relationships. And I don't know why, because if you go to a very elite couples therapist, this is mostly what you're going to do is like practice, 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 practice. Um, We can only talk so much about what's connecting. We have to get it into our muscle memory for it to show up. So an easy way for people to practice at home if they're not working with a therapist is to say, hey, like, what are we not very good at? You know, sometimes when we talk about money, we're, we're not very good at that. Like we, we get annoyed, we get stressed and the conversation goes off. Or we're not very good at like managing our differences with cleanliness. You know, like you're a little bit cleaner, I'm a little bit messier. It's it's not a huge deal, but we, we're not very good at navigating that. Sometimes we get nitpicky with each other. So you take something that you know is kicking your butt a little bit. And together as a team, you you take a practice approach to that. You say, okay, instead of just like, being annoyed and criticizing each other, you know, three times a week on this issue. Let's practice what it would look like to manage it really well. Let's practice what it would look like to navigate this area of our lives successfully. What would it sound like? What would it look like? What would our body language be? What would we be doing with each other? You know, what are the solutions that actually work for us? So you create a training environment to practice when you're not upset, when you're not annoyed, just like a soccer team would go out onto the field and practice, right? You don't you don't need a crisis to suddenly decide to practice. You just need to have the intention to be a better team. And then every now and then you say, okay, let's pick something and let's work on it. And that's how you develop motor memory around better relationship skills. You can't really do it when you're upset because you're already in threat response. Um, you have to do it like ahead of time knowing you're gonna need it later.
0: Mm-hmm one of the examples you gave in the book that I'm just kind of trying to think of something concrete that somebody could dig onto, you talk about Jacob and Steve and like one of them is like a morning person and one of them is a night owl. And this is kind of like my, my wife and I's dynamic. It's like, I'm the one that's up and ready to go right away. And she's like, give me a minute, man. <laughs> like what's the deal here? Uh, but like that that's a scenario that I think, you know, many couples face or similar dynamics. That's kind of like what you're looking for, right? It's like, it's essentially like, okay, we know that this is a recurring issue. Let's not, Practice, let's practice in the middle of the day when we're both at least awake you know we're, we're ready to go and let's put ourselves in that scenario and pick apart different components of it like I, I mean i guess what i'm trying i'm trying to get a little bit more detail here so like let's say we're, we're picking on that scenario we're in the middle of the day what are some of the characteristics that you would encourage them to look out for if they're in the middle of this practice and conversation to make sure that it's actually taken from practice and applied
1: Okay, so if you guys went to go see like a neuroscience-based couples therapist and you said, "Hey, we've got this sticky issue. I'm a morning person, she takes a while to wake up, you know, and it makes us feel disconnected and sometimes we argue about it." So, one thing the therapist is going to want to do is reenact that scenario. You know, they they might even have you guys lying down on the floor in the office so that you can feel what it's like to be in bed, right? We try to make it as realistic as possible. So, mm-hmm. if you're practicing at home, I would encourage you guys to get in bed, right? Like put yourselves physically in the position that you're in when this happens, because this is using state-dependent memory. When you put yourself in the situation, your mind starts to remember how you feel, right? So now let's say you bounce out of bed and, and she gets to feel what that's like, you know, she's slower to wake up. She's like, oh, he's already launching. He's not here with me. He didn't even say good morning. He's already checking his email. Like, you know, so everybody gets to feel what they feel. And now you have to practice what what are your moves going to be? Because if she says, hey, you know, come back into bed, you know, don't, don't start your day just yet, you know, come lie here with me. Well, you might feel like, ah, I don't want to just continue lying there. Like, I've got energy, I've got stuff to do, I'm, I'm motivated, I've got passion, like, like, I don't, I don't want to keep lying there. You know what I mean? So you guys have to figure out how to navigate that moment. When you're practicing, you get to just try different things cuz you're playing, right? You don't have to get it right. This is one thing I love about practice is it helps partners be more playful. So, like just try stuff. You know, like if she says, "Oh, I want you to lie with I want you to lie here with me for an hour because I really love cuddling with you in the morning." And you're like, "Oh my god, like I'm not going to last 5 minutes. You know, like an hour just seems like an eternity." So, you can practice negotiating that. You might say, you know, I love you so much. And I love waking up with you. And I'm so glad you're my partner. But an hour feels so long when I have all this energy, you know, to bring to the day. What if we lie here for 10 minutes instead, but I, but I'm really focused on holding you and, and we make it really quality time. How would that feel? And, you know, she might feel like that's enough or not enough, but the point is that you guys are practicing what success would look like. And by the time you're done, you have a pretty good idea of how to negotiate that difference better.
0: Mm, love that. Okay. So there's some homework for everyone is pick up whatever that, that recurring thing is and, and just be a little playful with it, you know, figure out some ways that you can problem solve when you're not tied up in the situation. So you know how to actually move forward. So love that. That was a huge takeaway that I highlighted and, um, have to have a conversation with, with Leah and we can figure out some things that we want to want to play around with. So love that. Now the, now I'm kind of going out of order here, but I'm, I'm kind of picking the, the order of, that I, that I think the, of the things that I'm most interested in, to be completely honest, the, the next one that stuck out to me was process over content. I think this is super, super important. Um, and again, I'll, I'll read a, a paragraph in your book because I think this sets the context, but you said, when you have a challenging pattern of communication, Litigating one topic or issue doesn't improve how you feel about the issue or the relationship because the overall process of communication is broken and it impacts how you feel with each other. Conversely, improving the your process of communication facilitates better, more connected interactions across all topics. And I had another guest on the show, Blair Dunkley, and he talks about how important it is to understand how you think, not what you think. And this is a very similar thing where we're talking about the process of developing it. So we'd love for you to kind of maybe expand on that and talk about the importance of process over content.
1: Yeah, this is another game-changing concept. If people get this, they will be so much more effective in their relationships because all of us by default get lost in the content. You know, we get attached to our ideas and our perspectives and we want other people to understand us. And so we get annoyed and we double down on the content. We're like, oh, no, you don't really understand me. It's, it's this other thing, you know, and we're trying to impress our ideas into people. Well, mostly what's happening is people are just getting annoyed with the conversation and they're getting less and less connected because you're not focused on the process of what it feels like to interact. You're just focused on your ideas and, and what you have to say. So the biggest mistake people make is that they think that solving that issue is, is gonna get them back to connection. So they're like, okay, we're arguing about money. So we really need to set aside time to talk about money. You know, We need to get our differences around money figured out and then we'll be good. Well, it doesn't work that way because the minute you're done talking about money, you're gonna feel disconnected about some other thing. you know, Parenting, travel, extended family members, cleanliness, like all this stuff. The, the, the place where people need to focus is how are we communicating? How does it feel to interact? Does it feel like we care about each other? Does it feel like we have each other's back? Does it feel like we care about our process more than the content? So if we start to feel stressed, we're going to pause. We're going to massage each other's hands, you know, we're going to make some tea, we're going to take a walk, we're going to tell each other how much we care about each other. And then we'll get back to the content cuz the content is not that important. If you look at John Gottman's research, you know, he found that a lot of the issues people have, they're going to continue to have their entire relationship. You know, it's not like we become different people. So the key is how you manage differences. And the the most effective way to manage them is to pay attention to how it feels to interact, right? You might not agree on your money philosophy, but you can definitely talk in a way that's connecting. And what that does is it opens your mind so you can bridge those differences.
0: Mm. So you alluded to something, you kind of I would just like to drill in on it a little bit. You have this concept called the pause and the pivot. How is that related to this topic that we're on?
1: It's, it's how you focus on the process. So let's say you decide, okay, I'm going to be more process focused. I'm not going to get lost in what I'm saying. I'm going to pay attention to the people I'm interacting with. And the moment I notice any signs of annoyance, stress, you know, anxiety, I'm going to pause and I'm going to pivot. And what that means is I'm not just going to keep ramming content at you. I'm not just going to keep bulldozing you with my idea because you're not getting it. I'm actually going to notice that we're getting disconnected. And that's the pause, okay? I have to stop talking. I have to shift gears. I have to notice that we're no longer as connected as we were when we started. The pivot is what can we do that gets us connected, right? Instead of just continuing to talk, because we already know this topic is hard for us, Let's do something that's more connecting and that'll help us get back to the topic, all right? So like I said, people have to think about what would actually help them connect, right? Do we need to take a break and chill for a bit? Because maybe we've been talking too much for too long. Do we need to eat lunch? Because maybe we're hungry and we forgot to eat. And, and that's why we're feeling a little bit anxious. You know, do we need to go outside and walk and talk? Because it's it's nice to move your body. And, you know, maybe that's a little bit relaxing with a tough topic. Do we need to remind each other that we love each other? Do we need to remind each other that we're talking about this in order to get stronger? You know, all these little things, rubbing each other's shoulders. Like, so there's probably a hundred different options, but the pause and pivot is the moment I notice we're getting disconnected, I'm not just going to keep coming at you. I'm going to stop right there. And and one of us is going to ask the question, like, what's happening right now? You know, why are we getting stressed? Why are we getting overwhelmed? And what can we do to connect ourselves?
0: Have you seen How I Met Your Mother, John? Have you watched it or no?
1: If I have, it, I don't remember. Okay.
0: It's, it's it's one of my wife and I's favorite, but like Marshall and Lily, one of the two main characters, they, they do that. They're like the long-term couple in the thing and they have this whole thing where they can be in the middle of a heated argument and they'll just say pause and then they'll just like, pause in this long argument and go and have dinner and pretend like nothing happened and they'll allow themselves <laughs> to resume it like that's what it reminded me of was just like pause like we're just gonna go um I think it's healthy probably me the way they do it in the movie is probably not the most healthiest way of doing it but the concept of saying hey I was listening to the language of your nervous system I was seeing the eye contact I was seeing the the you know some of the the other ones and I realized that maybe it's good for us to go on a walk or it, reconnect on some of those things and resume the conversation I think that's A super powerful tool that, I don't know, to me, it's almost like, I didn't, you can do that. You know, you can, (laughs) it's like, I think it's one of those things that people don't even understand that that's a tool tool toolkit or a tool in their toolkit. Well,
1: what we observe in healthy couples is that they can get off of a topic and come back to it later because Mm. they trust enough in their relationship that they don't feel threatened by, by taking a break. Right. They're like, we're strong. We're good. You know, if this is annoying right now, we'll just talk about it later. Um, now, there's a pause people use that's not healthy, which is when you pause and you never come back to yeah. the topic, right? That, that's <laughs> <Delayed>. just like, <laughs> that's just an avoidant pause. But but when you pause and you both agree to pick it up later and you know that you will, that suggests that there's a healthy resilience. You don't have to get everything figured out right now because you trust in your relationship. So if right now is tough, do something connecting, take a break, come back to it later.
0: Mm-hmm. Okay, so this this reminds me and this kind of this is why I went a little bit out of order, but we were just in like chapter five stuff. I want this reminds me of the reason why you probably had it in chapter four is talking about working together as a team because it's like it builds on that idea, but we kind of we didn't really uh, go into this concretely. So I'd love to, since we're talking about like it seems like we have a dynamic where we're able to pause, we're able to kind of work together on this stuff. Let's talk a little bit about the team dynamic and how we can leverage a relationship as one of the keys for growth. So maybe one of the best ways to start was talking a little bit about the we versus the I mindset. Would you mind sharing that?
1: Yeah, this has gone so way off in in our modern society. I, I think Brandon, this, this is really worth talking about because what a lot of us tell ourselves before we get into relationship these days is we say, I'm an individual and I don't, I don't mind getting into a relationship, but I wanna get into a relationship that that prioritizes me and celebrates me as an individual, right? And isn't gonna compromise me in any way. So we're essentially trying to have our cake and eat it too. We wanna have a strong connection, but we wanna have a strong sense of individuality, okay? This is a big problem these days because what people don't understand about relationships is you're merging your life with someone. It's a process of adaptation. You don't retain your same individual self from when you went into the relationship. Now. Why would that be a good thing? Because it seems like a loss to a lot of people. Like, why, why would I give any anything away just to be in a relationship? Well, because the net gain is greater. Whatever you give up is part of your limited sense of self. And what you gain is a sense of being a part of a collective that's bigger and stronger than just you as an individual person. right? So this is kind of like a big philosophical question. People have to ask themselves, you know, do I want to give a part of myself? to something that can give me more as a collective. And very often in our modern world, people are taught to be individualistic, to prioritize themselves, and to really protect their individuality. But that doesn't play so well in relationships. So the team concept is that when we partner up, we become a team. And I no longer act simply as an individual. I have to think about what's good for the team. This is the same in sports, right? And so a lot of times people that have played team sports really understand this. They're like, yeah, I could just do this thing as an individual, but it wouldn't be that great for my team. I have to think about how the team moves through life. I have to think about the team's goals. And when people in relationship prioritize the team, there's a lot less polarization. There's a lot less arguing and defensiveness. Even if you have an issue, you approach it as a we instead of as an I. You know, Mm -hmm. You, you don't say you're an asshole. Um, and you don't even say, you know, I, you know, I think, you know, you're dumb or, or I'm having trouble with, you know, your ability to do this stuff. What what you say is we kind of suck at this and, and how can we get better at this? And you're marshaling the energy of the team to improve that feels so much better and really reduces shame in relationships.
0: Mm. So would you recommend people to kind of use the we versus I is almost like a filter or like a trigger. Like, oh, I use, I I realize right now that I'm using lots of I based language. Is that a good way for someone to say, to to try to train themselves into shifting from I to we and taking that collective, converse, collective conversation perspective?
1: Yeah, I think it is, it is a good language marker to to be aware of. Now there's a lot of I statements that are, that are healthy and productive. You know, I feel sad today, you know, would you hold me? You know, great. You know, you're not going to say we feel sad today. <laughs> you know, that'd be a little bit weird. So, there's a lot of I statements that make perfect sense, but when you're using I too much, you're basically prioritizing the individual's experience in the relationship and you have to be careful with that. You're you're not as important as you think when you're part of a system. So, there are some I components, but there's a lot of we components, right? And sometimes people lose track of that. They're just too much in themselves they think about, okay, what do I need? What am I feeling? What do I think? What do I need to communicate? Well, try to think a little bit more about the we. And if you're not using we language, then yeah, that should be a marker in people's minds of like, oh, maybe I'm not as team oriented as I should be.
0: Mm. Okay. So let's keep going on this, this team component. One of the things that I loved that you articulate in the book is how we can leverage relationships for growth. And you actually have this perspective that like we actually become our best best selves when we can leverage our partner as a way of kind of reflecting or, or uncovering things that we didn't even realize were present. So can you talk a little bit about that, about how we can leverage relationships as a way to kind of serve as a mirror and kind of work together to actually create radical growth as an individual and then together as a couple?
1: Yeah, so a lot of people are into personal growth. You know, I'm sure uh, uh, most of your audience is probably into personal growth, right? So we're always thinking about, okay, how can I optimize myself as a person? Um, How can I eat better? How can I exercise? How can I improve my physical health and my mental health? You You know, should I learn meditation? Should I go on retreats? So one thing that's important for people to know is that the brain learns relationally more than in any other way. So learning happens primarily through relationship experiences. That's especially true when we're infants, all of our learning is relational, but it continues to be that way in adulthood. The brain picks things up from other people. That's why it's so important to have mentors and role models, you know, because we're learning by observation, we're learning by what people do with us and to us. We're learning from our tribe of people that we surround ourselves with much more than we learn things in a vacuum. So what I hear oftentimes is people say, well, I'm not ready for a relationship. I'm still working on myself. You know, I'm still working to improve myself. Well, if you look to neuroscience, neuroscience would have something else to say about that because it would say, well, working on yourself is being in a relationship. You know, one of the most advantageous things you can do for your own personal growth is get into healthy relationships because one, it'll fill in your blind spots. Okay, most people uh, at this point know what blind spots are. Um, There's these things that we just don't even know that we don't know, right? It's, It's like these gaps in our perspective of life. Well, relationships fill those in because somebody else sees the world differently than you. So initially, it creates friction. And you're like, oh, that's weird. You know, why do you see the world that way? But as you merge your life with someone, you start to get it. You're like, oh, now I get it, you know, because from your sense of how you are, like, this is what makes sense. So it starts to fill in our blind spots it also stresses us to grow. We have to adapt to relationships. When we're just going to personal growth conferences as an individual, we're still in a little bit of an echo chamber, like we're tuning to ourselves. right? But when you're in a relationship, your partner is going to hold you to account to adapt in ways that the team needs. So it accelerates your growth and it also provides you with a more complex set of ideas and perspectives to adapt to.
0: Hmm. What's the, what's like a great next step for someone. So let's say someone's listening to this. They haven't read your book yet. They go pick up your book and they're like, this is interesting. But up until this point, my uh, significant other and I haven't, you know, we have, we don't have this dynamic and it may be like a foreign thing to start this. And obviously I see the benefit of us, you know, working together and doing that kind of stuff. If somebody's thinking that, what would you recommend that they do as a good next step to get each other on the same page and then start that conversation that you were just talking about?
1: So the very simple tweak that I think everybody can do is just make your mind a little bit more security focused when you're interacting with people. You know, don't be so focused on your content and your ideas and stuff like that. Make sure you're tracking other people's nervous systems and asking yourself, does this interaction feel secure to both people? And if it doesn't, what do I need to do to get there? That's really like a simple tweak that's going to make people much better connectors. Because if I don't ask myself, how does your nervous system feel in this conversation? Well, then I'm kind of unaware of the most important component of what we're doing, right? I'm not gonna notice when you get stressed. I'm not gonna notice when you start to get frustrated. And now we're in the realm of ideas and language. So that's really the big miss. So tweak number one is orient your mind more towards uh, how secure people feel when they're with you and use your nonverbals to help people feel more secure. The second tweak is um, there's an exercise called the welcome home, which I think I mentioned in the book. It's developed by Dr. Stan Hatkin, who's a mentor of mine and who wrote the foreword. And he has it in his book, Wired for Love. But this is a really good example of what we're talking about. It's like the welcome home is if you haven't seen each other for a few hours, hug before you talk, right? Bring your bodies together and give your bodies enough time to like land and, and breathe and exhale and relax with each other. So what that does is it gets nervous systems tuned up subconsciously, and now it's much harder to feel disconnected. So these are very simple, easy hacks that people can implement. And then if they wanna do more, they can do more. But for a lot of people, their relationships feel fine. You know what I mean? They're like, "I I don't need a whole bunch of fancy stuff. Like my relationship feels okay. Well, just these basic tweaks are good because they protect your connection Going forward, and then if at any point you start to feel a little disconnected, now you can go a little bit further with the material in the book.
0: Hmm. You know, it's so funny sometimes. It's it's I love seeing how I the guests that I, that come on the show are sequenced for me. Just last week, I interviewed Mo Gawdat, and he wrote the book Solve for Happy, uh, and he has this whole mission to create one billion happy people. It's it's incredible. But a whole component of his book is talking about how biologically our brains are mostly negative. Like it's, it's designed for safety. It's designed to make sure that you're okay. You're not being eaten by a tiger. And so lots of the issues that we face. And so, and then of course, then I start interviewing you this week and I'm reading the book. I'm like, oh my gosh. So I think it helps. That was just a huge light bulb that went on for me. It's like, understand that biologically speaking, there's nothing you can do to change the fact that your brain is just trying to keep you safe. But once you have that understanding and you can you know, from Mo's perspective, communicate with your brain in a way that you can be more healthy and actually transition those thoughts into a place that makes you happier. In your case, you're communicating that externally with someone else so you can communicate that. That was just, I don't know. I just connected that in my brain as you were talking. I'm like, this makes, yeah. it helps me a lot to just know that that's what the brain's function is. And now that I know that it's a game it's playing, I can actually work with it more effectively. That's a really
1: important concept because it's true that the brain by default skews negative. And a lot of people don't understand that. They're like, well, why would that be? You know, I'm into positive psychology. I'm into affirmations. Like my brain doesn't skew negative. Well, everybody's brain skews negative because it's looking for danger more than it's looking for optimized personal growth, right? Like optimized personal growth is a luxury. Uh, the brain is first going to make sure that everything's cool and then it's not in danger. And, and, and then it unlocks that stuff. So this is why obvious connecting cues are so important anything that's assumed in relationship doesn't really exist because the brain keeps looking for evidence of positivity. And when it doesn't get it, it assumes the negative, right? So if I don't see obvious cues that you still care about me and like me today, I'm going to start to wonder whether you really do, you know, even though you told me yesterday, but, but it's a new day. I'm going to wonder again, that's just what the brain does is it's constantly calculating. Like, are we good? Are we still good? Are we still good? So sometimes people say, you know, I told you like last year that you meant something to me. Like, why, why do I have to tell you every day? Well, because the brain is recalculating the stuff every day. So if you want to be a good connector, you want to make positive, obvious cues of mm-hmm. friendliness and connection. You don't want to leave it up to chance. You, you don't want to send subtle signals and be like, I think I covered that. I'm not sure. Like maybe um, like obvious, positive signals. I love you. I care about you. You matter to me. I'm gonna hug you. I'm gonna hold your hand, right? I'm gonna sit next to you in in all the ways I can. I'm gonna make it obvious that you're important to me. And those are the signals that really go in.
0: Mm. Yeah, I think that that was another thing that I had highlighted a bunch. It's like making sure that your 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 non-verbals are matching with your verbals, and like it goes a long way to make sure that you're. It's almost like acting. It's like it's like when I've never done any acting, but it's like you have to over gesticulate, is that the word you have to, you have to like overemphasize when you're on the stage so that people can pick it up. Um, and it's almost the same thing, you know, if when you're developing a healthy relationship, it's like, yeah, I said, I love you yesterday, but making sure you're getting in that habit of saying it over and over again, it keeps solving for this whole conversation we've been having for connection. And then it opens up the floodgates to so many other things. So I love yeah. that. Um, I know we had a, a little bit of a false start on Zoom, so we're, we're coming up on our time a little bit here. But I, there's there's one more thing that I just want to ask, because I always get really curious about this. You mentioned Stan Tatkin. Um, and it was funny, because somebody had recommended Stan's book um, you know, a few months ago, and then I ended up meeting with you. And you're like, yeah, you wrote the foreword. I'm like, close with Stan. I'm always really curious to ask whenever somebody says, I have a very important mentor in my life. And people heard the beginning of your story. It's like you were, you were somebody that came up, like you weren't that connected. You were really just trying to figure things out on your own. It's not like Stan at, Tackin was just walking around in your life. That just doesn't happen out of nowhere. How did you develop that relationship with Stan?
1: Stan is an amazing, you know, brilliant thinker that that's contributed a lot to the relationship space. Um, he's bold, you know, his, his books are really interesting. Um, I came across him once I was already in graduate school to be a therapist. Um, because when I went to graduate school, you know, to be a therapist, you get exposed to a lot of different areas of psychology, right? You can focus in different areas. And for me, the relationship area was always the most interesting because it's the one I struggled with the most personally, right? So like, I wanted to learn how to love people and how to have love in my life and how to have healthy relationships. And so that aspect of my training was fascinating to me. And that's when I was introduced to him, because His ideas about understanding what the brain is doing in relationships, understanding how to hack the brain um, to develop deeper connection, like these are big, powerful ideas that didn't exist in the field of psychology, you know, before he started combining neuroscience and couples therapy and and doing fancy things with it. Um, So I started going to his seminars. I joined his study group. This was before he had a, a big, you know, famous therapy model. For couples therapy, back then it was just small study groups he was doing in different cities and we would just workshop ideas, you know, in those study groups, you know, Hey, what if you try this? What if you try that? What happens? What does it do to the brain? So it was very sort of experimental time where he was also developing a lot of his own ideas that became a couples therapy model that's used all around the world today. And he's been really influential to me. Um, I really credit him with a lot of my learning in this space.
0: So I just love going deep here because it's like, I think everyone listening, it's like there is always somebody out there that can absolutely transform your life. If you have that one relationship, they can open, I can attribute the majority of the relationships I have in my life because of one person that was like the lead domino for everything else. So uh, that's why I'm so curious about this. And for you listening, it's just like, there is somebody out there that once you open that relationship, it'll open the floodgate. So how did you specifically go from consuming his content, attending his workshops to you know, make, what was that next step that like really took it from you? Just, I'm a student to, you know, developing a relationship where he eventually, you know, wrote the forward to your book.
1: Yeah. Well, so for all of your uh folks listening that want to develop quality mentor relationships, you know, with, with people that are uh successful and, and understand, you know, important concepts, you know, I think there's a formula to it. And I don't know that I always follow it, you know, intentionally, but I think I follow it, anyways, because I've had several important mentors in my life. And usually what happens, and also now as a mentor myself, I noticed this. I notice when people do it with me. What I did with Stan was I, I kept taking his, his trainings over and over again, even like the 101. Like I probably took his basic course like three times in a row. I probably took his advanced courses as as often as I could. It didn't matter to me that they were supposed to be for beginners. I was like, look, if he's in my city and if he's in the room, I want to be in the room. You know what I mean? So I think he started noticing that I like had a really strong affinity for what he was teaching. And that gave me an opportunity to later become his first TA in the United States, helping him with trainings. At that point, I was just trying to be helpful. You know, it's not like he was paying me, but I got to be in the room. I had taken the training so many times I could help facilitate, you know, little breakouts and study groups and things like that. So I think the formula is... You know, show a mentor that you have an above average level of interest in their work, you know, like hang around them, keep showing up to stuff, you know, so that they see your face a bunch and then learn how to be helpful to them. You know, learn how to support them without needing that to be monetized in any way, but just saying, look, I love your work, I love what you're about, I'd love to be around more. Can I help you with something? You know, can, can I can I do the intro? Can I can I move chairs? You know, can I show up and host a Zoom for you? And so by attaching yourself to someone and being helpful, you know, they're more likely to keep you around. And then you can accelerate that relationship.
0: Mm. I'm glad I took that detour. Thanks for, thanks for humoring me a little bit, because I think that's so important. I I guess it's in the topic of connection and developing relationships with people. It's just, it's funny how your story mirrors what happened with me. Uh, You know, one of the pivotal relationships that I had is just showing up, showing that you care. When I first reached out to one of the dominoes for me, was a guy named Jonathan Levy. I reached out and I like, Hey, I found all these things in your site and I want to help you with it. And I don't want, I refuse payment. Like I just, I want to (laughs) help you and support you because I love everything you've done. And like that one, you know, me reaching out led to just so many ripple effects down there. And so I love that our experiences mirrored there. I always like to pay attention when that happens. So thank you yeah. so much for sharing that, John. I know we're, we're coming up on time here. You got to get going the rest of your day. But um, the, the question I always like to kind of finish on is what does happiness mean to John Howard?
1: Wow. So happiness to me means, uh, not surprising, you know, based on everything we've been talking about, but that I feel connected and I feel loved. And also that I'm able to give love to people. You know, it's like, it's really important to be received. Some, sometimes being able to give love feels even better than receiving it. but But both are really important, right? I love feeling connected. I love knowing that people have my back. I love the feeling that you know if I screw up and I do something terrible by mistake that people are going to hold me they're going to support me and they're going to help me recover like that sense of tribe is is a really wonderful feeling. And then also knowing that I can be important and meaningful in people's lives by being kind, you know, by extending affirming words, by building them up, by you know showing friendliness and sharing love with people. I mean, to me that's the meaning of life because everything else is up and down. It's like we're going to have financial ups and downs. We're going to have career ups and downs. We're going to question ourselves. We're going to feel good about ourselves. Like it's 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 always a washing machine. But what can be consistent is the deep friendships we have, the deep partner relationships we have. Like if you trust in your people, it gives you a sense of resilience for everything else.
0: Mm. Yeah. So much that we didn't get a chance to cover today, but would highly recommend everyone check out the book, More Than Words. It just came out. Uh, it's fresh off the press, but you know, you're know, you just t- talking about inviting care and developing that relationship with someone so that pump- somebody's taking care of you. That's another thing that stuck out to me. So absolutely love that. Outside of heading to Amazon and going and getting More Than Words, where can people find out more about your work, jo- uh, John?
1: So if people want some free goodies, they, they can go to getmorethanwords.com. What I have there is you can still buy the book on Amazon and wherever you want but there's a free bonus chapter on attachment that I can send people by email. And actually that chapter I meant, you know, to include it in the book. It's just that we had so much like, you know, awesome stuff that we couldn't squeeze any more in. So I like emailing this chapter to people because I do think it pairs with all the other chapters in the book. So if people want to go to getmorethanwords.com, they get on my email list there. I send you my myth-busting guide. I send you my connection cheat sheet. I send you the bonus chapter on attachment. Um, And then we're in touch at that point if you ever want to reach out, ask a question. You know, I do seminars from time to time. So people can really get it
0: anywhere. Awesome getmorethanwords.com. That's where you can find out more. And really quick, I'm just going to have a conversation with you listening right now. And I wanted to say, if this is your very first episode, you could have been listening to any episode on the planet, but you decided to listen. You clicked on the episode with Mr. John Howard. You've been hanging out with us today. I appreciate you so much. So excited to have you here. And if you're returning, I say it week after week, this is me speaking to your, your nervous system. I love you. I appreciate you so much for coming back week after week. And whether you're new or returning, the favor I always ask is I truly believe that podcasting can Life. That's one of the reasons why I have one. Podcasts have changed my lives. But if, if you've heard something today that impacted you, whether it was John sharing his story on what he overcame from wearing Coke bottle glasses and kind of figuring out his way and developing all these relationship strategies, or something as simple as the proximity, you know, like learning how to speak to the nervous system, those tips and tricks, those are things that can create ripple effects in the world if you share this with somebody that you love and appreciate. So um, that would make my day and John's day if you did that. But whether you choose to do that or not, I appreciate you for listening. John. John, any last things you want to say before we head off today? No,
1: thank you so much, Brandon. I, I really appreciate what you do for your listeners and for the world, uh, because you have such a cool message that combines health and personal growth. And it's got this kindness vibe You know that isn't always included in the personal growth space. So I just really appreciate you and your platform. Thank you for doing what you do.
0: Yeah. Thank you, John. This has been a blast. And I look forward to continuing the conversation, my friend.
1: All right. We'll talk soon.